It is yet another moment in history where we record yet another intro to yet another episode. <laughs> and we're getting up there, Murph. We're getting we in fact we almost have as many episodes out as you are old. What, 29? We're up to 29 now? <laughs> uh, yeah. What are we coming up to? We're coming up to episode uh, 80, uh, 88. Mm-hmm. 88. That's it. Age and IQ almost match now, Murph. <laughs> <laughs> you up there, big boy. Keep it up. Hey, guys. Well, welcome back to The Game of Crimes. Uh, of course, I'm Morgan Wright here literally with my partner in crime. Steve Murphy. Everybody knows me as Murph. The well, Murph Roney. Except Morgan, he calls me old man, but old man. he throws in some other expletives, but I won't include those. We don't uh, we don't talk about those on the show, Murph. Those are just my my pet names for you. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, the small talk is out of the way. Now we're into our housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Apple reviews. Hit those Apple and Spotify reviews. We're finding out that those are our two biggest platforms. Mm-hmm. Just head on over, hit those five stars. It really means a lot to us. It helps us out, gets us visibility. So please, guys, just uh, head on over there, tell us what you think about the show, drop in some comments. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We've got our stuff there, our book list, like we had with Michael Hearns last week. He's got three novels, Cade Taylor, so make sure you take a look at those. Uh, Also, follow us on that thing they call social media. And social media will become more important on this episode when we tell you uh, a little bit about our guest that's coming up. So follow us at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram but Patreon, man, we have got we have got more episodes out on Patreon than we do on our regular podcast. I mean, we produce, Murph, you know, a lot of content, and and the nine one one call that we put out, you kind of knew where it was. We don't want to we don't want to you know uh, tell everybody where it is, you know, and we're in the. But it was one of those things. Is like it's not so much that you figured out what it was, but it was all of the stuff behind it. Yeah, the why of it, you know that that was really, as they say, the twist. You know, it's funny too because. Uh, as you know, Morgan, I've been down to Satellite Beach for a few weeks and going through physical therapy where I had knee replacement. And the therapy center I was going to, they they knew all about Game of Crimes. They like, oh, you're Steve Murray. You got a podcast, don't you? And so uh, this one young lady that was uh, working on my knee the second week I went in, I said, did you listen? She said, I listened to the first episode, you and your partner, Javier. And she said, man, that was three hours. And I said, well, wait till you get on Patreon. She said, I heard you talk about 12 hours. How do you do 12 hours on, a, on one topic? I said, one hour at a time. <laughs> But, you need an elephant one bite at a time. But we got that new audience in there, so there's a lot of good stuff on there. Yep, you guys just head on over to that. Like I said, we've got a lot of stuff coming out. So we've got our nine one one. What's your emergency? We've got case of the month. Uh, we've got you can't make this shit up. I mean, there's there's just some uh, good stuff over there. So head on over there, Patreon.com/slash Game of Crimes. Now remember, folks, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. Steve, we take the story seriously, but we never, never, ever take ourselves serious. Never. 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 Say never. 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 We never, 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 ever say never. Never say never say never again. I think that was a James Bond movie. Hey, but before we get into the rest of this, guys, remember, you got to head on over to our Game of Crimes fans page. Just go to Facebook and type in Game of Crimes fans run by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato. Just answer a couple questions. If you're deemed, just get close. If you're deemed worthy of entry, we've got a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes there and a lot of fun conversations. So head on over to there, right? You should, you really should. I mean, that's, that's a crazy group of people. We have so much fun with them. There's, there's a lot of funny stuff in there. 
A lot of funny stuff. A lot of funny stuff going on, too. There's some people there I worry about. I need to get them help. So, hey. You're not talking about Fred, are you? <laughs> no, no, Fred. Fred's my buddy. Fred is our buddy. Hey, but Steve, but before we can get started, I have to ask you, do you know what time it is? It's, uh, yeah, well, hold on just a second. It's uh, 9.04 a.m. Which means it's time for... Small Town Police Blotter. Hey, I guess what I'm going to do this week, Murph, I'm going to throw you a curve. I'm going to pick on a state. I'm going to pick on a state. Florida again. No, no, it's not Florida and not West Virginia. I'm throwing you for a curve this time. Today, I have decided to pick on Iowa. So I'm going to give you a couple stories out of Iowa and then read you some of the really stupid laws that came out of Iowa. I can pick on Iowa because they were in the Big 12 and, you know, I came from Kansas and so we picked on them. So Murph. West Virginia's in the Big 12. Yeah, but I've already picked on West Virginia. They're an easy target. we got to do something a little tougher. So. Okay. Okay. All right. Two wannabe criminals from Waterloo, Iowa. Where will you meet your Waterloo? Very famous song from the 50s. Anyway, had a little trouble with their heist. At Steve, they got three vehicles stuck in the ditch while trying to steal empty cans of all the things you could steal. They're stealing empty cans. The two men had broken into Bremer County Road's maintenance shop and stole the dump truck which they used to steal several bags of empty cans from the community Lutheran school. But guess what? They got stuck in a ditch. That's when they went back to steal a second truck, Steve, which they also got stuck. And after that, they called one of their parents who, take a guess, also got stuck. So when officers arrived at the scene, the two men were still there trying to get the trucks out. All of them out. The unsuccessful criminals were charged with third-degree burglary, criminal mischief. And Steve, guess what else? What else? What's rule number one? Don't do math. Possession of methamphetamine <laughs> that might have been a reason why they were doing this. I wonder what they're going to do with those empty cans. You know, if they were empty, they probably could have gone by and said, can we have your empty cans? And they said, yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But hey, guys, here's a problem. locking up the whole family, even the ones that came out to help in the personal car. I know. It was, you know, hey, the family that, the family that uh, you know, steals together stays together. There you go. Steve, and over in Des Moines, it's not quite a small town, but everything's kind of small, you know, in the Midwest. But she was, she faked her own death, Steve, to just get out of paying traffic tickets. Now, she really? forged a letter from her mother, yet to the judge, handling her case, saying the woman had died in a car. So she got her mother involved in this, handed a letter to the judge saying the woman had died in a car accident. As proof, she attached an obituary, apparently from the Des Moines Register, and the judge dropped the case the next day. However, a month later, the police pulled over none other than the recently deceased woman. <laughs> police found out she wasn't deceased. She was alive. She forged the letter and the obituary, and that she had faked her own death to avoid paying traffic tickets. Now, is that a, is that a felony out there? I think. Well, I think once you get to that point, well, first of all, you lied to the judge, you lied to the court, so it's That's forgery. Yeah. Right so yeah, you're submitting, you're submitting forged documents to the court. So I would say she's just in a tad bit of trouble. All she had to do is pay her tickets. Good lord. And now it's going to cost her more than the uh, little subterfuge she attempted to employ. Subterfuge means deception, Steve. Means like you want to trick them. Can you spell it? Subterfuge. Yes. I can't Correct. write in the dictionary. Spell it correctly. S U B T E R F U G E. All right. If he spelled it right or, or wrong, y'all let us know, okay? All I'm right. Looking it up. Real Iowa law, Steve. Okay. Guess what the real Iowa laws are? Um, I don't know. A man with a mustache may never kiss a woman in public. Uh-oh. I guess I won't be going to Iowa, huh? Don't go to Iowa, Murph. You'll get your ass arrested. By the way, horses are forbidden from eating fire hydrants in Marshalltown. 
Well, that's good to know. I mean, you just have water spewing everywhere if they hate fire hydrants. You just yeah, and when you need a fire, you know, where's a fire hydrant when you need one, right? What, what are dogs supposed to use? What were fire hydrants made out of back when they created that law that a horse could eat it? <laughs> Don't know, man. Different thing from Iowa. Wow. Steve, in Fort Madison, this is why you don't want to live in Fort Madison. In Fort Madison, the fire department is required to practice firefighting for 15 minutes before attending a fire. Okay, warm-ups? Stretching exercises? Warm-ups, there you go, warm-ups for a fire. Hey, we're going to warm up before we go to the fire. Holy cow, I mean, just so let the building burn for 15 minutes, we'll be right there. we got to practice. Come on, guys, stretch out, let's go, let's go. And Steve, home of Radar O'Reilly. Remember what town that was? Man, I used to love that show too, but I do not. Ottumwa. Ottumwa, Iowa. Okay. In Ottumwa, Iowa, Steve, it is unlawful for any male person within the corporate limits of the city to wink at any female person with whom he is unacquainted. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what they think about flashing. You, I tell you what, you, you got me there. <laughs> Some of these might fall into our Patreon channel. You can't make this stuff up. Oh, I tell you what, we, we're going to do a whole episode on just laws. That's what we're going to do on Patreon, you know, for uh, You Can't Make This Shit Up, I think. We kind of did it, uh, just an entire episode on the strangest laws from around the United States. We're going to hit all 50 states like in 60 minutes. It. I like it. All right. Okay, well, hey, that brings us back then to this. Uh, you were out at the SHOT Show. Which mm-hmm. was a shit show of a shot show because of so many people, but it was oh a good gosh. show, right? So it's many fantastic, people. huge, yeah. But and we do a lot of setting up in this, so we won't do a lot of setup here. But but that's the way you ran into this next guy called the Chocolate Operator. That's it, man. Because we were out there, Javier and I were out there with uh, Premier Body Armor out of Gastonia, North Carolina. They were sponsoring us, and um, just Frank is fantastic. His entire crew is fantastic to work with, and he said we we were on the floor for two days in the vendor area. And, and uh, he said, listen, there's some special people coming on the second day I want to inter- introduce you to. And, you know, I mean, we're cops, you know, we're thinking it's cops. Well, the next day people started showing up and, and they had crowds of people following them around, young people just following them through the vending area. And, and one guy's carrying a, like a almost a professional grade movie camera, you know, filming everything that they're doing, who they're talking to and that kind of stuff. And I thought, who are these people? And this big black guy comes walking up, man. He's got guns on him, on his arms, like, you know, his arms are bigger than my legs. And uh, Frank came over and he says, hey, I want to introduce you guys to chocolate. I said, what's chocolate? I mean, what, chocolate, that's your name? And he's, so I learned about social media influencers. So Adam Bailey, a.k.a. Chocolate Operator, former police officer in Spartanburg, South Carolina, agreed to come on our show. I mean, well, this guy, he's got some good stories. And this funny stuff, too, and he's hooked up with another guy we hope to get on called the Donut Operator. So we got the Chocolate Operator coming on. But, Steve, we will never find out about Adam Bailey, a.k.a. the Chocolate Operator, unless I ask you one important question. That's that. And that's not if you have clean underwear on. That's I do. I just took a shower. Uh, well, we don't know that. I'm doing <laughs> Take your word for it. <laughs> Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous, and social media-friendly game of crimes? Hey, everybody, this one's just a little bit different, but it's still a lot of fun. So get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Let's learn about chocolate. We are, we are, we are constantly expanding the envelope here. 
thanks to Murph. And one of the things he did, you know, at a recent show, right? You're out there. Was it uh, the International Association of Chiefs of Police? No, we were at the Shot Show out in Las Vegas. Shot Show, that's right. Last month, yeah. And anybody, everybody who's anybody and anybody who's anybody is out at that show. And you ran into a anybody, somebody, everybody, not like me and nobody, but this guy you ran into out there. This is what we. This is what we bring you. We go to the shot show. We go to. We go to places nobody else goes to bring you the gifts. Nobody else hears. We do, and they had. And I got to give a shout out to Premier Body Armor, Armor out of Gastonia, North Carolina. They sponsored Javier and I to come out to the shot show. We've been dying to come out there. I've always heard about the shot show. This is my first experience. I have never seen. <laughs> So many gun nuts like myself out there. Holy cow. Well, I'm speaking of gun nuts, wait till we show you what we won't show you, but wait till you see what's in the background of that's next, dude. Exactly. And, and uh, one of the, I, I don't know how he does it, but the folks at Premier Body Armor know a ton of social media influencers. And I'm thinking, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. And, and uh, I'm, I'm like, why would that be important to us? And they said, well, you know what? They're former police. And here on Game of Crimes, we're always bringing the law enforcement element in. And so, lo and behold, on the second day, this little guy comes walking up, got arms about as big as my waist. I, I think we're going to change your name from chocolate operator to, uh, to guns or something like that, man. <laughs> but had the pleasure of being introduced to Adam Bailey, better known as chocolate operator. He's going to explain to us how he got that. Uh, I can't wait to hear this whole story because I'm just, I'm, I'm really surprised. I know I'm old, you know, and the influencer yeah. thing I don't really understand, but we're going to learn today. But the fact is, you know, you spent eight years as a police officer, and we want to find out about that as well. So, Chocolate, welcome to the Game of Crimes interviews, brother. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on, dude. Very, very excited. Very excited to be here. Yeah, we'll see if that, we'll see if you maintain that same attitude by the time <laughs> we get done. Hey, before we get started, though, Adam Beatty, otherwise known as AKA Chocolate Operator, first of all, let every, I, I took a wild guess. I think I'm probably right, but tell everybody, why did you come up with the name Chocolate Operator? I don't know. I think I kind of want to hear why you think I'm called Chocolate Operator first. <laughs> it's not what you think I think it is. You folks, you folks can't see us on here, so uh, Murph and I are both, you know, old, fuddy, white guys, and Adam is a fine-looking black man. He's got that smile, and he's got that beard. But by the way, you'd be a perfect candidate for our new Manscaped uh, Pro Beard Head. Uh, kit that we were talking about. But I would say, no, no, it's not that. I would say either like you had techniques that were like smooth as chocolate. You like chocolate. It had something to do with food. All right. Well, so I like to think that as well, but that's not the case. So <laughs> I'd have to go back to really the beginning of my law enforcement career, like eight, eight to nine years ago, you know, brand new rookie. I had a buddy of mine who uh, kind of blew up on social media. His name was Donut donut operator so this is at the time he was still a super small streamer and youtube creator you know maybe got like a couple hundred views um in his twitch so i'm gonna break it down for you murph because i know you said y'all are old so that's it bro like a, <laughs> it's like a streaming platform thank you basically my generation you know we always just wanted to play games and stuff so love playing video games somehow we found a way to get paid to play video games you get online it's just like how we're talking right now, recording ourselves, but it's live. Um, you play video games and people pay to watch you play video games. They subscribe to you, donate you money, you know, sometimes like $500 freaking just, just donate you money to watch you play games for hours or just do live chats. Like us three talking right now, live in a podcast setting and people just tune in, watch you and subscribe. 
special. So do you think we could pay people to watch Murph sleep? You think we could get an audience for that? <laughs> you know, actually, there is an audience. There are people who just sleep for hours and they get paid. No, people sh- watch them sleep. <laughs> oh, we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong business, weird. Murph. Yeah. I think it's kind of weird, but it's also kind of genius. Oh, so, my gosh. Let's talk about your name and then we're going to talk about how you got started in this whole thing. So, okay. So, did you know, you had Donut Operator there. And look, I've watched his videos. I think they were funny. You know, he breaks down a lot of shootings and a lot of uh, yeah, police does. engagements and stuff. And we'll give our, our listeners so, a heads up. He'll probably be on the show down the road a little bit. Yep. Heck yeah. So, so all right. So, how'd you come up with Chocolate Operator? So, Donut named himself Donut because he was a police, obviously. this At this time, he probably had like five viewers, super small Twitch. And his initial members that we kind of still keep in contact with, they see this black guy come onto the screen and they're like, oh, we're going to call this guy Chocolate. <laughs> oh, they not they so, named you. So they named me Chocolate. At the time, we're both SWAT operators. So Donut gave himself the Donut Operator. It's kind of a, you know, just making fun of the operator community at the time. Everybody's like, oh, I'm an operator. This is operator, operator, as well, blah, blah. So I'm Chocolate. Yes, it's, it's because I'm black. Not because I'm that smooth. Well, so and just so our listeners know, I mean, you've seen the Mod Squad, haven't you, Choc- Chocolate? You know, um, you had you had one white, one black, one blonde is how they would promote it. Nope. Well, what we have here on Game of Crimes today is one white, one black, and one red-faced Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that was Morgan's reasoning, but it wasn't. Uh, no, no. Well, I, I was. I kind of thought that was. So, th- does that mean if you and Donut Operator get together, we have a chocolate donut? <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> much. Right. Be, okay, and that's always okay. be cops because we certainly I know. comedians. Well, look, Let's I'll give you a quick it. story. Give you a quick story before we get into this. 2012, I was the senior advisor for the uh, senior law enforcement advisor for the Republican National Convention. And we were working with Pinellas and Hillsborough County. We had like 50 agencies out there. Well, one of the things uh, St. Pete PD and Tampa PD had were undercover uh, uh, guys. So our UCs were operating in the crowd and we were actually, they were streaming the old days. It was called, I can't think, iStream or something like that, but it was like 2012. You could actually stream from your phone, but it was really data intensive. But but one of the uh, UC guys that had been embedded in this this group for like three months, well, the way we identified him, he was going around. He had like a fishing pole with a string on it and a donut tied to the bottom of it, a plastic donut. And he was walking along, bobbing it in front of all the cops' faces. You know, oh. There you go. Oh, yeah. oh, that was donut. Hey, anyway, as we do with everybody, <laughs> chocolate. Let's talk about this real quick. How did you get started, this thing of ours, Cosa Nostra? What, I mean, were you just running around one day, got arrested by the cops? You thought, hey, this is fun? Or, you know, were you, a, you know, uh, did you fracture some laws as a youth? Or did you just awake drunk one night, you know, on the steps of the Spartanburg County Police Department and say, hey, I want to do this? And that's funny. So um, I guess this is before my time <clears throat> in the military. I was uh, going to college in South Carolina running track. And, uh, couldn't figure out what I wanted to major in. I was doing graphic design, love art, love drawing, hated graphic design. I just hated making designs for other people. So I was like, man, for some reason, I just checked out law enforcement. It's something that kind of always piqued my interest just as a child, I guess, you know, growing up. You and, said uh, military. Um, were you in the reserves or guard or? Yes, a Marine Corps Reserve. Ah, my son-in-law was a Marine formerly on active duty. Oh, super fun. And thank you for your service. Thank you. I noticed so, your hair isn't marine regulation at this point. Neither is your facial hair. It's not. That was actually, uh, so once I switched over to undercover, that was actually kind of a, a little issue. Bonus? Yeah. yeah for, oh. For a while, so. But not for long. You know, it kind of sorted itself out. 
Yeah, the Marine Corps um, doesn't have a very good sense of humor, do they? They do not. They do not. <laughs> not at like all. what they used to say, if they wanted you to have a sense of humor, they'd issue you one. And if you weren't oh, issued yeah. one, just move along. Especially your gunny sergeants, right? That they were uh those are fun folks, right? So they but are. but but so you're doing graphic design, it's not working for you. So but wh- why did law enforcement pique your interest? So um I don't I don't know, honestly. Uh, probably just from being a child, you know, I, di- I didn't grow up in the projects. I grew up in the country, but I had several cousins that grew up in the projects and we go visit them. And I just remember once I got older, probably high school age is when I really started visiting with them. Cause I was able to, you know, move around by myself. And I have to wait for my parents to take me places. And I just remember seeing like kids, the stuff they were exposed to, you know, like just drug dealing and gang violence. And I remember when I was a kid, my cousins would always have to come to the country and play. Cause they couldn't go outside because of all the like shootings and drug dealing and everything that occurred in the neighborhood. And as well as just like having family members that were addicted to drugs, you know, it's such a weird dynamic having uncles who were like drug users and then <laughs> cousins who sold drugs. You know, it was always a weird dynamic. So it was always a little conflicting for me. And when you say you, uh, when you say you're in the country, they're in the projects, what town are we talking about? Uh, this is Spartanburg. Spartanburg. So give us an idea. How big is Spartanburg? Where's Spartanburg located? You know, about how big is it? So Spartanburg is conveniently positioned between the two major drug hubs of Charlotte, North Carolina, (laughs) Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. (laughs) It is a hub for gang violence and drugs, trafficking, the whole nine, you name it. And it's probably a town of maybe 30, 50,000. I'm not sure. And it just booms during business hours to over 100,000. You know, it's just a really oh, wow. good hub. Yeah, so it's positioned at the intersection of <clears throat> 85 and 26. So, Wow, so you, I mean, I've seen those things too where they're like, you'll have some places that are called bedroom communities. There's no business there, so people go there, but then you get towns and stuff like Spartanburg or like college oh, towns. When people yeah. come in, sometimes the population might double or triple from all the people coming in. Yeah, that- college town as well. Doesn't Spartanburg have, uh, there's a drive-in there in Spartanburg that's either the largest or the oldest drive-in in the United States? Yeah. Is it, what is it, the oldest? Uh, I'm not sure. I know it's like world famous Yeah, uh, for whatever reason, their food. Yeah, we did, a, um, just a side note here, when I was, my first tour in DEA Atlanta office, I ran the mobile enforcement team for two and a half years, and we did a six-month deployment to Spartanburg. And this is a, it was, it's not that you're going in looking for the big drug traffickers. You're going in and looking for the most violent drug traffickers. And you work in conjunction with your state and local partners. And we had Spartanburg PD on there. We had the county. We had uh, a sled agent assigned to us. I think FBI had an agent showed up every once in a while. And, you know, it was, it was a concerted effort. But I, I will tell you this Spartanburg is one mean ass town. Yeah, it is. I remember for the longest, I think we were consistently in like the FBI's top 10 or something. One of the most violent cities. I remember they got happy whenever we just broke out of the top 10. They were really happy and kind of celebrated that. (laughs) So was it just drugs driving it? Was there other stuff driving it? You know, issues of poverty, economic issues? What what do you think was driving the crime while while you were there as well? Yeah, honestly... I think it it just had to be a mixture of both. There's a lot of poverty there within a very small radius. We had like eight section housing projects, you know, so naturally that's going to bring drugs and crime and gang violence there. So what I found and what I already knew prior to that was that, 
you have a lot of good people in projects and in Section 8 housing, but they also have a, a lot of people that aren't very good, you know, that, that don't necessarily live there or stay there, but they hang out there because it's high foot areas, high foot traffic areas. You know, they know that there's going to be poverty there and there's going to be drug abuse because a lot of people who are in poverty use drugs to escape from their issues, you know? Yeah. Um, so when you, when you, so when you thought about doing that, so now let's, now that we're kind of bringing it full circle, uh, when you started thinking about doing that, um, did you apply anywhere else? Did you look around the sheriff's office, you know, state, uh, you know, outside of Spartanburg or did, were you just wanting to stay there? Initially I did. I, I actually had an application from the sheriff's department until I spoke with a city officer and actually one of my partners. So Flash forward, I left school, joined the Marines, stopped running track at my college, and I joined the Marines, uh, came back, and my plan was basically, when I was in school for criminal justice, I wanted to do federal law enforcement. I didn't want to do, you know, I didn't want to be a street cop. Then I started looking into it. I was like, you know, if I get a degree, as well as a military background and some street um, enforcement experience, then I'll be a shoe-in for going to the feds when I decided to join the FBI or whatever agency. What? So what did you say? What? Something we got a week. Oh, oh, mandatory oh. counseling. Yeah. The, uh, EA, sorry. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so once I, once I started um, looking into that, I actually had a partner. I started working a security job. Like as soon as I got back and I did for a year, one of my good friends there was actually going through the process for Spartanburg PD. And I watched him go through his process. He's super excited. Little strap, little scrappy uh, white kid from New Orleans. So um, we got to get, we got along really well. And he kind of fast tracked and went to the academy. So I decided that I wanted to work with him. You know, we're boys, we're buddies. We get into a lot of stuff at our security job. And um, so I put in an application, got hired. Whoa, 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 stop. Let's rewind. You got into a lot of stuff at your security job. Let's dive into this for a minute. <laughs> let's talk about one of those things you may not what it let's let's expose to the world for the first time. Let's hear what was going on before he was chocolate operator and he was just little Adam Bailey. What did you do at your security job that you're trying to hide from us? <laughs> Oh man, yes. <laughs> See, so we that's an admission, Murphy. It's not a denial; it's an admission. <laughs> exactly. He's, tra- he's trying to come up with his alibi right now. You can see those oh, faces. Man. How am I going to say this? My partner's <laughs> going to listen to this podcast. Dude. He's going to be like, "Wow, really?" <laughs> well, yes, don't really. name him. Don't name him. We won't name him. <laughs> no, definitely not. So, so we uh we worked with a lot of older like retirees, like some guys who were exposed to Agent Orange and stuff like that. So uh, they didn't really like my partner. They liked me. Cause I was polite and, you know, well-spoken. My partner's the exact opposite. He runs around. He has like ADHD and he's just running around, bouncing off walls. So usually it's just him getting in trouble. And, uh, then us trying to figure out how to, how to smooth it over. Like one night he freaking, uh, he's messing with a fire panel because we're in this warehouse is being built. It's like a huge warehouse for a big company. And he starts tinkering with this fire panel. Everybody knows we're not supposed to touch the fire panel because it like instantly triggers like three fire trucks to you. So the fire trucks just start storming out. They're like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. I was just standing there and, yeah, <laughs> and the right. fire panel started going out. So there's an old <laughs> Vietnam vet or something. He's like, gets really pissed. <laughs> it's like, you obviously touched it cause it's covered as a door on it, you know? So it's just <laughs> stuff like that. Just his annex. And that carried over into, into law enforcement. He's a brand new rookie while I'm going through the Academy and I'm at the Academy and my instructors are telling me, you know, you guys, uh, 
most law enforcement, you'll go your whole career without draw, ever drawing your firearm. And here I am every week. My partner's telling me how he had to pull his gun or draw his gun or he's chasing and fighting people. So right then and there, I knew like that was that's what I wanted to do. And I did a ride along with him. So I was just destined for interdiction. And that's all I cared about whenever I started policing, because everything that I saw as like a kid or a young teenager was interdiction related. You know, the reasons why my cousins couldn't go outside and play or the first time I ever saw somebody get shot at when I was a high school student. Uh, the first, you know, first homicide I ever knew about and saw a guy get shot at was when I was a teenager and it was drug related, you know, a drug deal going bad. Well, let's wow. let's stop and talk about that for a second. Um, let's talk a little bit, too, about when you were growing up. What was your interaction like with law enforcement as, as a kid? You were in the country. But what was your interaction with law enforcement during that time before we get into, like, seeing that first shooting, that first homicide? So that's a uh, here comes another smile. <laughs> it's. It's funny because it's um, I was always raised, you know, to respect law enforcement. And uh, but at the same time, my uh, family members, a lot of them had different experience with law enforcement than I did because they grew up in the 60s, 70s, you know, in the South at times where law, law enforcement's relationship was really strained with, I guess, the black community. And um, so I was always taught to respect law enforcement. I never had a bad experience because I had. um really good resource officers and I loved them. They were really good guys. You know, I always knew law enforcement was there to protect us, protect our school, make sure that, that nothing happened. If somebody came into my school and tried something, I knew that that guy was my first line of defense, you know, outstanding. Um, But at the same time, (laughs) I was taught from my cousins who lived in the projects. Like you don't talk to law enforcement, you don't snitch. If you see, if we saw law enforcement rolling down the street, we would just, we'd hide and pretend like they were chasing us, you know, we may be hiding behind cars and running. They're probably laughing at us because we're out here in the country just running from some sheriff's deputy that's just patrolling the area. And, you know, we'd play cops and robbers and stuff. Nobody wanted to be the cop. We always wanted to be the robber. But <laughs> as well, like all of my anybody I knew who who was anybody that had money or that had really nice cars, like they weren't doctors, they weren't lawyers, they were, you know, they were drug dealers. So so it was a weird dynamic for me, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that first shooting that you saw as a kid. I mean, I'm assuming that you being in the country, things were kind of like relatively safe, relatively stable. You might saw a few things when you came in, but was this during high school then or was it at school or were you guys out and about when this happened? So this was this was during high school. It was like a um, weekend. I was at my cousin's house. And so my cousin lives here and right next door is a trap house. I know you guys are familiar with the trap house. It's just a place where, where they sell drugs. Um, they didn't necessarily sell it out of the house because there's an older lady who lived there and she wasn't about that. She had a son who lived there and the people that he hung around would go behind her house and they'd sell drugs. So we're sitting in my aunt's house, uh, just next door. And all the boys are just hanging out on our front porch, you know, all the bangers, all the drug dealers, and this car, this truck pulls in. So a middle-aged white guy and everybody knows who he is in the uh, projects. You know, the little kids call him by uh, his nickname. He pulls up and all of a sudden one of these guys just starts going crazy. Two, two guys, everybody knows that they're just, you know, violent for no reason. They always just always trying to prove something, I guess. So one of them gets mad and he smashes this guy's windshield with a brick. He pulls off. and. Like one of the guys is 
on the truck or something. He jumps off. His brother runs, grabs a gun, and just starts shooting at this guy. Broad daylight in the middle of the street. And we're like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. This is the first time I've ever seen anybody get shot at. You know, I've seen guns and stuff because I'm in the country. I've shot guns. But this was different just seeing a gun get discharged at somebody broad daylight. Nobody called the police. Nobody did anything. And later, actually, that uh, that guy ends up getting killed either that same day or the next day. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, did I witness a homicide? But turns out it wasn't them. It was someone else. And it was uh, at a different location. But I remember just thinking, like, man, that's I almost saw this guy get killed. And now he's dead. So it was, it was something that just stuck with me throughout my whole life, you know. How old were you at that time? Um, I was a freshman in high school, so about 13. Yeah, it's 13, not, something that, not something most 13-year-olds see. Yeah. Dang. Man, and that's, as, as I said, that's got to be one of those formative things, too, because um, I didn't really, I mean, we moved around the world, but I grew up, I mean, in my day, I grew up in a real small town, a farming town. We didn't see anything. I mean, I, I didn't see anything. Even till getting college, the worst thing kind of happened in college was we saw a kid at a party one time. We knew he'd been doing coke. His nose was bleeding and everything. And then that night he crashes into a tree and dies. And it's like, that's kind of the worst thing I saw going through college. But man, things change. So how much did that affect you? I mean, affect you when you got in law enforcement too, in terms of you talked about growing up in that area, you talked about your experience with the school resource officer. So tell us about that now. You're getting on. You talked about interdiction, but what what initially, what did you want to do when you first you know, put that uniform on? And I'm seeing a picture of you pulled up uh, on Instagram here. If you guys go find him, he's chocolate operator on Instagram. There is a fine strapping young man in a kind of a powder blue shirt, you know, and uh, <laughs> and is that you? Are you oh, doing yeah. bodybuilding too there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> Yeah, Murph, I'm looking at him. You're right. His his arms bigger round than my neck, your waist, and my, I have big thighs, man. So how big of a guy are you? So now I'm actually a little bigger than I wanted to be because I just suffered like a injury that take took a year to get over. It was a complete tear of one of my tendons. So I'm under. I'm about two seventy ish, two eighty ish. I just dropped down from like three hundred a couple weeks ago. And how tall are you? Six one. If you weren't doing this, you could be playing, uh, you know, outside, you know, defensive tackle or something. I, I live in Loudoun County. The the what, what is it called now? The Washington Commanders. They need some help. If you ever think about doing it, I'll, I'll walk you down here and get you. <laughs> hey, you know, if you know if you know a guy, I might have to might be interested in talking to him. You know, guy, and I'm seeing that brace on your leg too. It was like, uh, was it like your right leg? You got it that was. big brace. Yeah, it was my right leg. I, getting the WWE, man, as big as you are, and getting buffed up like that, those guys are making buttloads of money. So my girlfriend always tells me, she's always telling me that uh, you could be a wrestler. And I'm like, wow, that's just, that's all you think of, is that you uh, <laughs> be a wrestler. <laughs> hey, Morgan, agree. now did you see on those Instagram pictures, he's standing there in front of uh, the Premier Body Armor sign yep. with two I see that with you there, Murph, yep. Two good-looking individuals, retired DEA agents. Those are good guys. Well, there's two good-looking individuals. So there's Javi, uh, JP, and the other guy, and then there's you, right? So who's who's the two good-looking guys? Uh, you just named them. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, well, I, maybe I should say the two fat guys. <laughs> hey, so uh, let, let's let's go back now. Uh, we have not finished yet your security incident. So you guys are a security company. I mean, were you guarding like anything? Were you assigned? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, buildings, or were you kind of just like going around wherever the assignment was, you would go provide security for that location? Yeah. So initially we we're just like a static post. Um, there was a, <clears throat> this business was opening up 
their big warehouse and they had a bunch of servers that need to be guarded. So during the night, you know, they didn't have any bay doors or anything. So we were, we would guard these servers and make sure that nobody came in and hacked into the servers that were super paranoid, which I understand because it's like a, you know, over a billion dollar company now, not at the time. So as well as like server rooms. And then during the day, we had to make sure that none of the uh, construction guys got into the server room until the business opened. And after that, it was just like, you know, just make sure no employees got into fights or anything like that. It's like observe and report. You just, you call law enforcement if anything serious happens. So we just, we found other ways to occupy our time, you know. Now as, as security, you guys, did you guys carry any kind of weapon? I'm assuming that most of the time they wouldn't let you allow you to be armed with like a, a baton or mace or handcuffs or anything. Nothing. It was just it your was, good looks, your smile yeah. and your size, right? That's it. And that security badge. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now, okay. Now, now I know this too. I've seen your buddy. He's the one that's going to be the problem guy. Did he go out and try and flash people with that badge to make them con them into thinking he was a real cop? He didn't, but I, I know a guy who did that and he, <laughs> he applied multiple times at my agency and never got hired. Oh, they do so, that too then. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they definitely do that. Yeah. So uh, any other incidents you'd like to come clean about now, Chocolate Operator? Adam Bailey, before you become Chocolate Operator, we can talk about that during your security days. You know, I don't believe in self-incrimination. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the statute it, of limitations has run out on most of that stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, what is it? We, we didn't ever get into anything too big, you know, too bad in security. Most of the stuff we got into was later on in uh once we started policing together, but I believe the security was the catalyst for that because he got, he initially, he got moved to another location. <laughs> uh, I will tell you about this. This is probably the funniest thing. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he's, he gets moved outside to what's called the guard shack. And I'm upstairs. I'm up front. Like I get to greet people and just sit there and play on the computer. And he's at the guard shack. He has to take in all the trucks because they're annoyed with him. Cause he's always running around or he's not at his post. He's always just doing something he's not supposed to. So he's at this little static post in the guard shack. It's like no AC or heat out there. So he's cold during the winter. He's hot during the summer. And I go out there and, uh, and I would, uh, visit him from time to time. Cause I was like, I started being like the acting supervisor and we had another supervisor that worked a different shift with him. And this guy, this guy's an idiot. He gives him, uh, he gives my partner, uh, a little mobile DVD player. So <laughs> he's sitting there watching DVDs. And the big boss comes and visits with our upper supervisor. And like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, he's like watching videos. He's like, well, you're not supposed to watch movies out here. So um, who told you to do that? He's like, well, the other supervisor, weekend supervisor told me to do it. And so, of course, they asked the weekend supervisor. And he's like, I didn't do that, even though it's his DVD player. So my partner gets moved to another <laughs> another location. And I follow shortly after that because I get into an argument with the bigger supervisor for you know for moving him when obviously that guy gave him the dvd player so and we stay there for probably three months and then we go on to be police officers so yeah it's a shame when people lie try to lie to cover their own butts rather than just own up to it good lord it is 
Well, it's a good thing he wasn't watching anything like really bad on there, you know, watching that or watching porn. I don't know. Maybe the boss would have hung around and said, hey, you're my kind of guy. I don't know. All right. So we've determined that you're really not going to give up the goods. Uh, So we're going to move on to to your – to join it in. So, but you said you applied a couple places, but it was the thing, it was the, it was the ride along and it was talking to your buddy that says, Hey, I want to do, I want to be on the police department. So what's your journey there? You apply, how long does that take you? So I apply, honestly, it only takes a couple months, you know, just long enough for them to do the background, um, do my poly, do my psyche vow. And then from then on, it's just, waiting on a academy date. So we do like this initial couple weeks where you get to ride around with officers pre-academy because I think in South Carolina, you can be on the street for a year up until your academy date. So a couple weeks, a couple months is nothing. Just riding around, we're learning like traffic, we're learning all this other stuff. So by the time we get to the academy, we're just like heads and shoulders above other candidates because a lot of them come from little backwoods departments. You know, that's, they probably got hired because their cousin is the, the mayor or something, you know, and they just really don't know anything about law enforcement versus we've ran calls. We've typed reports. We've did direct reports. So we get to the Academy. The Academy is super easy. The fitness standards, nothing, um, graduate and hit the streets. I get put on the same shift as him that I wanted to be on this second shift. So, it's the time when everything is popping off. It's like 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. So it's the bachelor shift. We're both young single dudes, and all we want to do is just arrest bad guys. And that's that's what I fell into as well as him because he came from the projects as well. You know, he was always like one of the only white kids in his class, so he got picked on a lot down in New Orleans, and he had to get he had to fight a lot. And then he moved to South Carolina, and he got bullied for being from New Orleans. So. <laughs> He was, it was just my kind of people, you know, like he's a scrappy dude. He's not afraid of a fight. So all we did, all we cared about, we just chase people down. We get in fights and I'm going to arrest you for your felony warrants. And if you fight me, I'm going to fight back, you know, and that was it. So uh, how big of a department was Spartanburg when you first got on? Uh, how many, you remember how many officers they had, how many people they would put out on the street? Yeah. So it was sworn personnel. I think it was just, just over a hundred sworn personnel. And when I first got on is when they really started getting up to staff, you know, they were hiring a lot of people, <clears throat> whereas, you know, over the years, it kind of dwindled and it's like everywhere else or most of the places yeah. staffing isn't anywhere near where it should be. But on second shift, we'd have overlap with first ship at the beginning. And then at the last four hours, we had overlap with third. So we'd be running the street with, with plenty of people, maybe in my district, there's four officers. We might have to double up in cars, you know, or. It's just in my district alone, so there could any given time there could be there's double digit officers on the street. Where was your police academy at? Did they do that in Spartanburg, or did you have to go somewhere else? Uh, Columbia. So the state academy is in Columbia at the Criminal Justice Academy down there. Man, Columbia is always like ten degrees harder than the rest of the all the rest in South Carolina, isn't it? It is, yeah. It doesn't make sense, but it's, I know it. it's always hot there. It's always hotter. Well, that's because the state capital, right? That's the that's where all the politicians are. So it's always ten degrees harder. Where all with the hot, all the hot air, air comes from, huh? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Never thought about that. Hey, and real quick, we're going to take a quick break here, Adam. Hey, chocolate operator, hold on. Murph and I got to do a pause for the cause. Game of Crimes is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
Hey, you know, currently we're talking with uh, Adam Bailey, the chocolate operator, uh, but he brings up a lot of things when you talk about what he saw growing up, some of the trauma he saw growing up. And we talk with a lot of law enforcement, first responders, Murph. So it's one of those things, you know, um, there is nobody who could not benefit from therapy, could not benefit from help. You know, things like we don't know what we want. Sometimes we don't know exactly how to get it. And it's like I, I've said, you know, on other things, it's like. It's like building something but not having the right tools. How do you fix something or improve something without the right tools? So better help, you know, helps in a lot of those ways. You know, it's just like Chocolate Operator said, you know, we all go through life changes and sometimes we really just don't understand uh, or we're not aware of why we're going through these changes or how it affects us. So the benefit of uh, having a licensed therapist, they can help you grow. It's more through self-discovery, figure out why you're feeling the things that you are. Uh, just get your head around things and so that you're better prepared to deal with life on a daily basis. And, you know, and Steve, we've got lots of friends in the military and law enforcement. They're challenged every day with stuff. And a lot of it, it's just, maybe it's just learning positive coping skills and mm-hmm. how to set, you know, one of the biggest thing too, Steve, is how to set boundaries, how to say no, how to not, you know, I have a favorite saying of mine, not my monkey, not my circus, how to not get involved in other people's drama. Right. Right. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. This isn't just for people who have been through traumatic incidents. It's things, it's for anybody who has some issues that you just simply don't understand. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it suits, they'll suit it to your schedule. And here's the cool thing. If you don't like the therapist that you're dealing with, or maybe you're just not connecting, you can change to another therapist at no additional cost. Yeah. And a lot of great things come out of these sessions, especially when you work and you understand what's going on. So discover your potential, folks, with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GOC today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GOC. Okay, guys, another great sponsor. We, we love our sponsors because guess what? It's like you. The, the, people pay us just to sit here and say funny things and not that we say anything funny, but uh, we're having fun. So let's get back to what you were doing there, um, a chocolate operator, CO. We can call you CO for like commanding officer, chocolate operator, you know. Yeah. We'll call definitely. you CO. All right. So you're our CO. So um, so when you get you get through the academy, you get out on the street, um, what, what kind of things, you know, you're working. I, I never heard it called the bachelor shift, but it kind of makes sense. When I first started, I was working midnights single guy, you know, because I was going to school in the evening, but yeah, that makes, but that's when a lot of the stuff happens. So mm-hmm. you go out there doing stuff. What was the meat and potatoes of the type of stuff that you guys were getting into all the time? You know, what kind of calls were you taking and what kind of things were you doing proactively? So <clears throat> the kind of calls that we were taking, basically you go to whatever you're dispatched to, but if you hear a hot call come in, then those are the kind of calls that we like to jump, you know, maybe a call with weapons or a fight, you know, a fight at a bar or a disturbance or domestic violence, you know, anything that has the propensity for violence or like maybe your other officer might need backup. We kind of acted as like roving, um, a roving patrol. Like if I heard something all the way across town and the officer needed backup, I'm going to jump in and I know my partner is going to jump it as well. But in addition, uh, Proactivity is where we we really love to be at that proactive spot. So whatever call we got, if it was just like some call that could be handled really quickly, a noise complaint or something or something that maybe required a report, that's what we 
we hate it. We're like, man, I hate doing this stuff. But <laughs> I can't just protect. I got to serve as well. So I've never I met one cop before. yet that goes, I love writing reports. Give me all the reports. I'll do the reports. Everybody's oh, like, Lord. Oh, God. That's, oh, Lord. that's funny because since we like doing the, uh, the proactive stuff, we had a you have majority to do reports. of people. Yeah, the majority of people on our shift didn't like being proactive. So we call them RTs or report takers. So we're like, okay, we're going to go do the fun stuff and y'all can do the paperwork. Right. So they would use generally put them in the parts of towns that had lower call volume or maybe had a lot of wrecks or a lot of shopliftings. And we go handle the projects because that's where the, all the proactivity could be done. You know? Yeah. And, you know, some of our, a lot of our listeners, we have a, a ton of law enforcement listeners on here and thank you guys for joining us. But, and they understand why you're, why you're saying or what you're saying. The question is, though, for those that haven't experienced this, why in the hell would you want to go over where the, you know, the most violent, chances of being hurt why why would you want to work in an area like that and and i understand completely because that's where the excitement is but just try to explain that a little bit to help them out i think we're crazy that's that's what it is (laughs) so yeah this uh definitely a big part of it was just that that's where the excitement is you know i don't want to be bored at work i'd rather be doing something proactive i'd rather be um engaging in something but also i think just a lot of it had to do with i didn't realize that a big reason for me policing to go back to your point earlier, Morgan was, was like life experience. You know, I didn't realize that until I started seeing it on the street. And then I, I just felt that hate for it again, because this time before I started policing, I was kind of removed from the projects, you know, like I started going to school, um, uh, went to the military. So I was away from home and stuff. And then I came back from training and all my initial training and started policing and there it was again you know like i'm seeing firsthand i'm seeing these projects that some of my same family members have lived in throughout the years and i remember having people do ride along civilians and they're like oh man i never knew it was that bad or look at that poor kid just walking around by himself outside like just wearing a dirty diaper or something you know or having kids come up to me and they're like oh we can't play outside because them boys over there selling drugs or because they were shooting and that just reminded me of my childhood my cousin's coming to to the country just to get away from that and play or, you know, spending the weekend or spending the night up there. So that that was a lot of the reason why I really hit the the projects hard, as well as just hearing, you know, just older residents, you know, and also there was I feel like there was a lot of misunderstanding in the law enforcement community where people were like, man, I hate the projects this is so bad. Like these people, they don't care. They don't ever call us when stuff happens, but it's cause they never really had, have been forced to experience the projects other than policing. So they don't understand. Like most people are scared to, to tell you what's going on. They're scared to call because they know that you can figure out. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause that, that is so interesting. What you said, I remember watching some congressional hearings and stuff and I think it was Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy, I think was from South Carolina, if I remember right. Yes. Trey Gowdy is. Yeah. Great uh, dude. Uh, well, he had a line of questioning because that's what they talked about. He said one of the problems that makes it difficult to stop crime and address crime is the fact is whether they don't trust the police or they don't think things going to happen. Nobody cooperates. You know, when you if if you don't have a cooperating witness, if you don't have somebody who's willing to testify, it's very hard to you. It's easy to arrest somebody. It's difficult to take them to court and try them without you know the the witnesses and the supporting stuff. I mean, and so just what you were saying there, I want to explore that for a little bit. Um, 
two questions to go with that. Number one, as you were growing up, were any of your family members ever affected seriously by crime or anybody get hurt or anything happened to part of your family? Um, yeah. So I've had family members, you know, who maybe got into altercations with people or got into shootings and shootouts. I had family members that were arrested, you know, a couple family members. I was a small child, so I didn't re- really remember these family members, but I just remember how hurt their their mothers, you know, some of my cousins and aunts were whenever they, they'd get arrested for selling drugs or for shootings and guns and stuff like that. So I just remember the, the um, I guess just the effect that crime or doing crime had on, on my family, you know, because my family was always, for the most part, they're like, don't do drugs, don't sell drugs, uh, don't do crime, be good, you know, go to church. I was raised Southern Baptist because that's predominantly, that's what you find in the South, Southern Baptist, fire, brimstone. Like, oh, Don't yeah. tell me we're going to have to have an altar call before this is over, are we? Hey, maybe. You know, my dad was hey. a Southern Baptist minister. I grew up in a pretty strict household. Maybe. Yeah, right. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's the norm there, but people deviate from what they're taught their whole lives. You know, I had these cousins for whatever reason who decided to, to go the other way and they would kill someone or they would do something. And that, that person's family is now hurting. And now also my family's hurting because this person's arrested and their mother didn't do any crime. You know, their mother didn't raise them that way, but they did that. And that's something that just never goes away. The suffering is on her. Um, who, so when you decided to go to college and go to military, was that your decision or did your parents help influence that? How'd you get into that? Yeah. So that was my decision. The mom, at the time it was just my dad. My mom had already passed, but my dad was totally against it. He didn't want me to go to the military. He thought I was going to, you know, go out there and get, get killed or something. But I remember me and my dad never really got along. Um, until I got back from the military and I guess that's where he kind of saw like, okay, my son is, he's a band now. And now to this day, we have a great relationship, but excellent. How much did going to basic, because I, I went through Army basic uh, in 1979. Many of my drill sergeants were Vietnam vets. They had the combat infantry badge. That's the Army uh, for the folks out there. The, the Army issues those. But the, these guys were in the shit. I mean, they were they were in the weeds. They were, you know, in the rice fields. And so it was it was tough going. And but yeah, I, I can tell you when I went into there and came out of there, it's like different world. Like how, how did how did the Marine Corps basic change you and shape you for this future career in law enforcement? Man, it honestly just gave me so much more discipline and just pride, I guess. And also, in addition, like Marine Corps basic. And then after that, you have like your basic combat training and all that. The Marines just have a way of making you feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. So I was like, you know, I was never really like a scary guy before. But after that, it just makes you feel like, okay, nobody's going to hurt me like if anybody tries to hurt me, I'll just hurt them instead. So I'll, I'm not going to say I never got scared because there was times when I was terrified doing the job, uh, sometimes more than not. But it was just, just helping you push through that, just giving you the courage to push through. And knowing that I had that initial basic training before I ever did SWAT or anything, just the, the tactics I acquired during combat training and, you know, CQB and maneuver under fire and stuff like that it just gave me a really strong basis, I feel like. Okay, so no, we have an official rule. I should have told you on Game of Crimes, no acronyms. You said, I know what it is. I know Murph knows what it is. Tell everybody what CQB is. Oh, um, <clears throat> CQB is 
basically it's close quarters combat training. Yeah, like close close quarter battles. This, I mean, there's things about yeah. f- far off, but CQB also helps you like with SWAT and other stuff too, clearing houses, things like that. Because really, what the Marines were training for at that time, I mean, a lot of people are going overseas, you know, Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, places like that, where there's a lot of CQB involved in that. Yes, one hundred percent. Right. So um, that kind of that kind of formulated thing. So as, you, as you're going through and as you're getting out on the street, um, you're gravitating towards. By the way, we used to have a we used to call those same guys that didn't want to do anything. We call them the do brigade, do the do brigade for do nothing. And there was an also term. I think we talked about it Murph, one time. They were called. Uh, we heard it for somebody heard it on. Uh, I think it was uh, what was that movie with Clint Eastwood where he was the. Uh, gunny sergeant, uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah. Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah. He says ROAD, retired on active duty. We had a few of those guys that were just waiting to collect a paycheck, yeah. you know? We, we did. did. Yeah. It's funny. Everybody comes up with names. We called our people Muppets. That was like more of a, a not so nice name to call people. Just like these people are just, you know, they're kind of useless and they don't ever want to do anything. And, you know, if you get into a fight or a firefight, this is just, you're just going to be like, hey, hand me, just stand there and hand me your magazines when I run out. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, we you stand in front of me and take the bullets. I'm going to use you as cover. <laughs> yeah. we, we called them rips. Retired in place. Retired in place. That's right. Hey, so but but you get you get going doing this stuff. Um, initially, when you first got out there, you talked about there's a couple times you were terrified. I think everybody's terrified, and people think, oh, you're brave. Now, not being brave, but brave, but even being brave is doing things even when you're terrified of shit, right? Trusting your training, pushing on through. When's the first time you just got scared shitless? Man, the first time. Oh, I you know, or near the first time. We're, we're, there's, it's not a test, so we won't grade you if you're right or wrong. So, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's so many of them. I'm going to say that's probably going to be clearing a house. So my partner who always got me into stuff, I'm brand new, fresh out of the academy. And you, I don't know if y'all academy is the same as South Carolina's academy. But they just constantly showing you pictures of police officers just line of duty deaths, just like dying on dash cam. At the time, there weren't very many body cams. So you just see these dash cams of officers getting killed and screaming. So when you get out, you think every call is going like you're just going to get shot at every call. When in reality, most of them, you're not going to get shot at. Most people don't even have guns on calls. So my partner, he loved being proactive as well, but <laughs> he liked going into these abandoned houses and finding uh people to kick out of them and initially i thought he was just being a jerk like just kicking people out of houses i later found it's because he knew that they were junkies and he could turn these people into informants because he was trying to work his way into narcotics just the nastiest little houses ever and so we're we're clearing this house he's like hey come on let's uh let's um clear this house right here i just found an abandoned house with a broken in uh, back door. I'm like, man, I'm not trying to go in there. He's like, wow, are you scared? I'm like, no, you know, I'm not scared. I just don't want to go in here because there's always disgusting houses. So we're clearing this house. Like we've probably done it a dozen times before and we just start hearing stuff and nobody's answering, you know, and it's just probably that first initial midnight clearing of that house. And you think somebody's going to kill you. You just start having these flashbacks of these videos you've been shown. But not only that, the scenarios where in law enforcement at our academy, we do uh, force-on-force training, and you always get shot. You get shot every scenario. Somebody pops out of a closet, and they just shoot you with these SAM rounds, and it hurts like hell. And so so I'm just anticipating that, and I start thinking, like, man, we probably need somebody else out here with us. Maybe we should wait for another officer. Like, my back's exposed. We're not using good tactics, probably, and that's probably the first time I was just like, 
literally scared shitless. There was nobody in the house, you know, but there you just start hearing all this shit in there and you're sure there's somebody in there. You know, in the back of your mind, I mean, these these are houses where folks go in with hypodermic needles to shoot heroin, and you're thinking, if somebody stabs me with a, a needle, you know, I'm going to get HIV, or I'm going to get whatever disease they have, hepatitis, or, or I'm going to have heroin in my system. But if you think about it, they're not going to waste their heroin on you. Yeah, <laughs> they might yeah, still they stab you with a needle, like but... <laughs> pricks and exposures and stuff yeah. like that. yeah. No, that's not yeah. fun. That's not fun stuff. Well, but but you know, you bring up a good point though too. Is you kind of get kind of get past that. But it's like it's like watching one of those haunted or watching a haunted movie or something. It's like they make it sound like a, somebody's going to hop out from everything. But but it, it serves a purpose. But I think it also actually kind of is detrimental to, like you say, if you've just it's it's about making people aware versus making them paranoid. If you're making them paranoid, paranoid people make mistakes. But people who got a good sense of awareness. Uh, and probably one of the lessons you learn too is like you said, and we've had many guests on the show, they go, yeah, I probably should have had, you know, more backup. And I'm, I'm thinking of a Joe Pierasanti, uh, Steve, when he was mm-hmm. chasing those folks, he, Detroit, this guy looked like you, this guy got shot through the head by the Taliban actually, but he's blind, but he's, he just won an international bodybuilding championship for guys his age. But when he started off Detroit, he's chasing somebody. Next thing he knows, he's outrun his backup, everything. And he's run through the front porch into a house and he's being surrounded by everybody. There's one of him and like 10 of everybody else. Yeah, he's oh, yeah. he's a retired DE agent. That's the way we are. <clears throat> that's the yeah. way we roll. Yeah. Well, I'm state and local. You know, that's the way I roll too. You know, so as they used to say down in Texas, one riot, one ranger, man. I'd be the only guy out for yeah. six counties, Murph, and I'd have to handle it all myself. Yeah, but it was it was Kansas. There was nobody out after nine thirty p.m. Was it? Dude, there were cows. <laughs> there were deer. So one, I got one of our those cows off the road. One of our troops lost. Uh, when we had light bars and they started going to the bubbles, kind of the old style. One of the guys lost his. Didn't even know it. He was driving down the road. Deer literally just jumps out, hops like across the top of his car, and he hits the brakes. He thinks, is everything okay? He doesn't realize. He drives like 20 miles, gets back to division headquarters, looks up. The deer, when he came across, came so low, right across the hood of the car, he ripped off the bubble out of the car. So when he gets back, he's got a big empty spot and torn sheet metal where this deer had just ripped his uh, bubble off. But anyway. Hey, Sarge, nobody was more surprised than me when. Dear Colonel, (laughs) nobody was more surprised than me when I got back to headquarters and somebody purloined my, you know, emergency activation light. So, hey, you know, we were talking about cows. It just reminded me something when we did that math deployment. Well, wait a second. Is this a personal story, Murph? Did you date one in high school? No. (laughs) All mine were 10s and 11s. (laughs) <laughs> anyway we we ended up going to Cowpen, south carolina uh you know oh, Cal you know where that is battlegrounds yeah oh man it was that was uh extremely rural out there <laughs> yeah and it is very where men are men and cows are nervous is that it yep yeah pretty much <laughs> basically basically yeah uh, we don't we don't play in cow pens in spartanburg that's like outskirts yeah that's, uh, that's in the county yeah yeah they're their own little thing we've 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 let them secede from the county we don't have anything to do yeah, with them so but as yeah. you're going through this so but what's one of the i mean those are things kind of um you know obviously got the hairs on the back of your neck standing up but um do you remember do you recall one of the first like real serious things you got involved in maybe it was a fight maybe it involved the use of weapons mm-hmm. you know what was one of the first things you got involved in yeah, and and so in hindsight, once you once I look back, once I got into like some really serious stuff, I look back at that stuff and I'm like, man, that's kind of foolish. Like, I thought that some guy was gonna pop out with a gun or a knife and shoot me, and it probably wasn't until I fought my first person with a gun or a knife and you realize if somebody's gonna shoot you, it's probably gonna be either on a traffic stop, a DV, 
or somebody you're fighting with and you discover that they had a weapon. And one of my first most serious things is just in the projects we would get out and we learned to just flush them out. Right. So we'd send a car and we knew all the cut throughs. They cut holes and fences so they could get like escape from law enforcement. One of our most notorious projects had a fence line all the way around top line and bottom line, but they cut holes with wire cutters and they would go down to the Creek or they would go up top side to the roadway and run while officers were too busy widening around in their vehicles. So we would go park our cars, me and my partner, and we'd send like a rookie or some Muppet down in a marked patrol unit, high visibility. Send a Muppet. Hey, Muppet, you come here. <laughs> hey, Kermit, come here. We're going to send you and Miss Piggy down there. <laughs> come here. We need your car and then you can leave. So we'd send them through high visibility and the, the little dope boys and the bangers would see the car coming through. And so they would split. And we know they're going to hit the cut through. They're like, okay, they're headed top line to the cut through. We'd wait at the cut through and pop out like, hey, what's going on, buddy? Where are you headed? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we talked to them. And right then, so just to, so just what we're going back to, how most people don't want to report and stuff, we would get out on foot and we would talk to these people and they would tell us like, these boys are here. They're doing this every night. Y'all drive right past them. Y'all don't ever get out with them or, you know, or they see y'all coming and they run. So we're like, okay, so we use that intel. And, and we use that to get out with people because I guess a lot of other people too were afraid of like the whole stop and frisk thing because everything that goes, went on with like New York and it's like, you can't talk with somebody. You can't just go into someone's pockets and take their drugs. Even if you have someone says, Hey, that guy has drugs on them. Well, you can you do it on to. cops. Cause I saw the people on cops. They would learn so many bad habits from cops. Hey, what do you got in your pockets here? I don't know. Do you have a search warrant or probable cause to search me at this point? Yeah. So, so we learned with the interdiction and doing all this proactive stuff, what comes along with that is a lot of complaints and you better be covered. Cause if you're asking it covered on these complaints, you're going to burn like I is going to burn you. They don't care what your intentions were. They don't care that you're trying to clean up the streets. They don't care that this old grandma told you or some kids told you that they couldn't go outside because of violence. They're like, Oh, well you got this complaint and you did this. You violated someone's rights or it appears you violated somebody's rights. That's your ass. You know? So we learned and we became really good at articulating and also just like picking up on cues. So right away, I'm in a high dry, high drug, high crime area. So I can get out with you if I have reasonable suspicion, you know, that you're doing something or that you're committing a crime or that a crime is occurring. So I see this guy and he's running from the president. He's fleeing from the presence of law enforcement. And that's what we call in law enforcement a clue. And by the way, you guys want your bit of trivia? At Justice Anscon Scalia actually adjudicated that case. It's called California versus Hodari D. You can actually stop somebody on, if they just merely flee at the presence of police. Um, you know, and that's what happened. You get people running the Supreme court rule. That's reasonable suspicion right there to detain them and find out what's going on that, there. You, you're, you're trivia for the week. You're now, you know, um, do you guys feel better now that you learned that's, that? That's part of the articulating he's talking about. <laughs> yep. It is. You, you learn to, uh, make sure you're covered and you can articulate very well on the front end and, <laughs> You don't have to do as much on the back end with IA or with in court. It's like, okay, this is all clear cut and dry. This is why I got out with this guy. He ran away from sight of police and then he ran from me as well. So we talked to this guy, you know, we can't go in his pockets, but we can ask to pat him down. And if they run from you, then that's a clue. Or you're patting him down and you feel a gun without manipulating anything. You feel a bulge that you think is 
drugs. And it always blew my mind how many people would be like, hey, man, what's that bulge right there? There's nothing out. Do you mind if I go in and check in and see how many people would give you permission? Yeah. <laughs> and they have drugs on them or they have a weapon. But we learned, like, once you feel a gun, man, it's like, there's no mistake in that. So the very first serious incident I ever dealt with was that it's like, I felt the gun. I had held guns before in my hand, you know, I shot guns. And in the academy, when we pat people down, they teach you to pat people down. And you remember what a gun feels like. But this is the first time um, that it's ever happened, like, on the street. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, like what is this, you know? And it's a gun. And from then on, the fight is on. Like, nobody just chills and lets you pour their gun out, you know? It's a fight. They're running or they're fighting. It's always fight or flight. Or they grab for it, which is really the most horrifying thing ever. And so this guy grabs for it. And I think he's grabbing to pull the gun out, but he's grabbing to secure the gun, I guess, because he wants to run. But it's like, it's no more talking at that point. It's just, I pick this guy up, I slam him. The fight's on. You know, I'm by myself. I'm fighting this guy. <clears throat> you're trying to call over your radio, but at the same time, you're just like, right now, my life is my priority. You know, not not getting on the radio. So you say what you can over the radio. And luckily for me, I had a lot of, I had a pretty extensive background in martial arts, you know, and jujitsu and wrestling i wrestled throughout high school um i did jujitsu after high school and continuing when i was a police officer so it was just like it was i was way more calm than i would have been had i didn't have any training and yeah at that point you're fighting for your life like until you fight for your life then and you're fighting this guy and for, and he's fighting for his life as well because he's fighting for his freedom you know either he thinks oh this cop is going to kill me because i have a gun or this cop is going to arrest me. I'm a felon. I have violent felonies. I can't go back to jail. Yeah, and if I, I, have if I get picked up, man, I'm doing five or ten, yeah. you know, on this one. Exactly. A lot of motivation. Yeah, my life. Or, a, lot of, yeah. a, lot, a lot of motivation on his part to survive, but as well, you are as well. And it's, it's, a, it's a damn scary feeling. It is, man. Just two dudes fighting for their lives in the dark or fighting in the middle of the woods, fighting a guy for a gun. Or- it's funny you mentioned that you did. I mean, I had the kind of the same thing. I wrestled through high school, most of college. Where I went to college, I had too many studs above me. It was like we had, I was NAIA. We had NAIA national champs. And it's like, I wasn't going to be wrestling varsity, but I did the same thing. I had Bushikan Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, every now and then, it's like guys would expect you to do the traditional stuff. We did the pressure point control technique, the handcuffing techniques. But every now and then, you just got to just, you know, take them down, you know, do a, yep. you know, do a throw. I did. I, one of my favorite things was kind of like the hip toss, you know, you'd get close and then, wham, you know, hip tossed onto the ground and then you could work them into an arm bar, you know, in a handcuffing procedure. But, uh, yep. but I, the, the downside to that, when I was a trooper meant my uniform got dirty, that pissed me off more than anything else. You just cut my uniform dirty. I got grass stains. I have to go change. Now you're going to jail, pal. No matter what else you're going to jail. <laughs> Scraping up your core friends. Oh man. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Or yeah, heaven forbid you get dirt on that state trooper car. You, well, I learned a long, I learned early on from my training officer, go into the supply closet, steal a bunch of black trash bags that they had. And when you arrest, because we didn't have cages when I was a trooper. I did when I was an officer. But, um, you know, we would, I would put black plastic on the seats. Why? Because the one time I didn't, some dude peed his pants. And I'm like, t- I'm taking my seat out and having it steam cleaned. It's like, it was never the same again. It's like, always you open the door and it's like, oh God, there's that guy again. <laughs> You know, I learned early on in my career that uh, Highway Patrol doesn't chase people on feet <laughs> because uh, we we had a running joke that every time we get a call, 
And Howie Patrol's like, oh, I got one. Howie Patrol has one running from him. We're like, okay. That means somebody ran on foot and they watched him run into the wood line. Sure enough, you get there. And it's just a Howie Patrol guy with his car. Everybody's, oh, he's there. Suspect's dying. You're like, oh, well, where's, where's Suspect? Oh, last time I saw him, he was running to the wood line. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uniform is just pristine. It's like, well, buddy, like, if you're not going to chase him, I'm not either. Yeah. Like, I don't even know why you put But let me tell you, but that was South yep. Carolina, too. They were a little bit militaristic in their academy. South Carolina Ohio yeah. Patrol, man. They, it, I, they are. That's probably as closest to the Marine Corps you're ever going to find in state law enforcement. It's funny because it's ran by a bunch of Marines. So oh, really? <laughs> at least, yeah, when I was there, everybody knew as well known that it was run by, like, former Marines. And so that's why they, they literally run it like it's the Marine Corps. Now they do look good. I mean, you guys are going to give it to them. And that's what they do. They'll chase you in a car. <laughs> <laughs> you, what the old saying used to be, you can outrun a motor, but you can't outrun a Motorola. I just get on that radio and go, 150 Garden City. I got one running from me. Call the PD. Hey, that's true. Were you, Chocolate, were you still there when uh, they opened the BMW plant there in South Carolina and they donated a couple of the, the BMWs as cruisers for the highway patrol? Oh. I saw pictures of them. I never, got, uh, I never saw one in yeah. person, but man, that looked good. Yeah, they do. BMW, actually, they, wherever they're, whatever jurisdiction they're in locally, whatever little town, Man, they give them a new car every year. They'll give them like the blacked out, murdered out car with the ghost letters. You can't see it unless you're right beside it. You can't see police. And they just always get the best stuff, the best little BMW patrol cars. Nice. Nice. So if you got to chase somebody, you might car. as well do it in style. <clears throat> that's right. So my first take home once I got on the SWAT team, is, that's like the, the thing with SWAT team is you get a take home car. It was a super old Impala with the bubble lights you're talking about. <laughs> and people weren't stopping for me when I first got it. So I thought everybody was running for me. So it's like daylight on shift, right? At the beginning of my shift. And I'm like, they're not stopping. And I remember somebody's like, hey, just uh just give it time. They probably can't see your lights. Sure enough. <laughs> like I had my siren at them. And they're like, I couldn't see your lights. I'm like, man, I hate this car. You can't see it in broad daylight because the lights are just so dim. And I hated it so much. After that, I got um, a Crown Vic. Hated it because in the, everybody loves a Crown Vic, but I hated it in the rain. Like, it had no traction, didn't have any ABS. And I'm like, man, I hate this car, dude. I'm sliding all over the place. And finally, I got a Charger. And so... the. My very last Mark Patrol unit was a Charger. After that, I was uh, just all UC cars, and my enforcement car was a blacked out Tahoe. But other than that, I was just driving like, you know, sports cars or pickup trucks. One of my favorites was a little black CTS, Cadillac CTS that I drove around, but I stopped driving it because I get pulled over by cops a lot. And so always interfering with my. Uh, <laughs> With my um. Well, let let's talk about that for a second. You got pulled over. I, were, were the windows tinted or not? Yeah. So all of our that's the main. All of our cars had like super black limo tint on them. <laughs> so were they pulling all you over because just because it was a, a illegal or excessive window tint? So I think the main reason I'd usually get pulled over on like the interstate by uh, either highway patrol or like a traffic cop interdiction so they stuff. Would run my tag. Not. Not so much interdiction stuff, more because we usually have those guys working with us if we're doing operations. We would pull the interdiction and canine guys, but these guys are like traffic guys. And, you know, we're usually like, if I'm in a UC car, I'm probably in a hurry to get somewhere. But also they would just run the tag and they would see like. Wouldn't come back on file or. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. The way that our tads come back, they're like, what is this? And you're like, oh, this idiot's going to pull me over. And so you get pulled over. you just like, hey, buddy, I'm headed somewhere. Oh, sorry, man. Slow down. It's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. See ya. Hey, but yeah, that little CTS was fast, man. I couldn't help it. Yeah, that's what they all say. I'm sorry. I didn't do, you know how fast? That was one of the things, too. I People would have two schools of thought. You'd pull somebody over. Say They would say, do you know how fast you were going? And they would go, no, and you would use that in court. I just always prefer to walk up there and I'd say, look, you know, Trooper Ride can't stop patrol. The reason I stop you is you're going 75 and a 55. Mm-hmm. And then you get the answer. I was. Well, that's not, you know, that's the, you didn't have to, you know, prove anything. But the 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 worst thing in the world was I got this Camaro. I bought it for my oldest son. He had a few too many tickets. It's 2000 Camaro Super Sport. And I'm coming back from Colorado. My wife flew out there with me and we're driving back. I'm going, hmm. I wonder how fast this thing will go. And I started getting up there. And before I realized it, she was like, slow down, slow down. We were over 140 and I still could have gone to 160, I think, in that thing. And it was like, <laughs> but my first thought was I started to slow down. Fortunately, we slowed down, came across the state line because I got across the state line two miles inside. There's a state trooper. If I'd been going 140 miles an hour, I'd still be paying off that ticket 20 years later, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you would. Yeah. If I had the car, they might have towed it and me with it. But uh, that, but see, the statute of limitations is passed on speeding, so uh, I'm okay right now. So I don't do it anymore in case insurance agents are listening. I don't drive that fast anymore. Um, <laughs> sure. Let's go back yeah. to you, though. So you're working the street, but you also talked about getting on SWAT and working undercover. So uh, which came first, SWAT or UC? So SWAT came first. And you were kind of designed for that, weren't you? You know, being a Marine and going through that training and stuff. And uh, so, but you said you were a smaller kid. When did you start to b- beef up, you know, and bulk out? So I couldn't break like 170. I, I didn't break like 175 my entire high school career until I got to college and I started, I got on a different program. So I was weightlifting and training for track. And then I had like, I remember hitting 180 and then it was just up from there. Until I went to the Marines, and then you get skinny, you like a crackhead. <laughs> came out probably high school size, and then I started beefing up again because I started bodybuilding um, right before I started policing. So. How much weight did you lose going to uh, Marine Basic? Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.